0: Live and direct from Limassol District, Cyprus. T.J. Cosgrove,
1: how are you? I'm very good. I am wrecked, but otherwise very good. That's an enigmatic way to start the podcast. That's a very Northern Irish way to start the podcast. And why, pray tell, are you wrecked? So I discovered uh, that uh, gardening or landscaping is actually quite physically challenging.
0: Ah, mm. uh, that
1: is... That is indeed digging a ditch. <laughs> yeah, or digging a large plant out of your front garden, as the case may be.
0: And uh, where are we now with this? Is the garden looking lovely or is it looking like...
1: Uh, it's in an interstitial stage.
0: Gazuntite, <laughs>
1: sorry? Yeah, it's it's between... Before I didn't like it, right? Before we had some ugly plants and lots of stones. Now we have lots of stones and no ugly plants. So we're getting there. Okay, progress yeah. was being Incremental progress. And we uh, it felt very much like some sort of mafia hit where we disposed of the plant bodies at the local dump in 14 <laughs> separate bin bags uh, and uh, a large tarp, which we unceremoniously unrolled from the boot of the car and it thumped much like a corpse onto the, the pile of other dead trees.
0: Okay. Uh, for the sake of any law enforcement officials listening, these are plants... <laughs> I'm I'm yes. very certain that neither T J or Meg has taken up murder.
1: Well, I mean, I probably wouldn't dump them in you know four o'clock in the afternoon at the local dump in that case because there were people there H- hiding in plain sight. TJ. Mm. I love your style. <laughs> so yes, fourteen bin bags and a, a large waste bin. So that we have we have a brown bin for compost. Um, so anyone in the UK, the, the bin that you have that but brown. So one of those and fourteen large bin bags. Wow, that's, uh, that's a, a chunk of bin. Mm, so yeah, that was really good. Saturday we did a little bit in the evening and we got the, the path all nicely done with some bark and mulch and some nice little alpine plants and it looks really well. And then I got up on Sunday and thought, right, I'm going to tackle these bad boys. And uh, yeah, I was there eight, nine hours. Wow. That's, mm.
0: That really is uh, backbreaking stuff. You do ache in places you didn't mm. realise you could ache, don't you?
1: Yeah, and then when I got into work today, I was I was making coffee, and a coworker was asking me why I was so stiff, and much the same story, and then he went, ah, yes, doms, look it up, enjoy, and then walked off, which is um, delayed onset muscle strain, or something like that. Basically, tomorrow's going to be worse, is yeah. essentially the takeaway.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it, I believe. <laughs> I, I do have distant <laughs> memories of doing exercise in the past. I mean, I've given it up now, obviously, mm. but... Um, mm. <laughs> didn't stick. Yeah, no, no. Yes, You don't want to get too involved with that sort of thing. <laughs> he said, bringing a beer to his lips.
1: <laughs> but yes, I, I feel I've sidetracked the beginnings of the podcast with, uh, uh, what do you call it, plant chat or garden chat, whatever you want to call it. But um, that was the majority of my weekend. It was very adult. I, I fixed a toilet uh, and then gardened. So it was, it was very adult. I feel like I'm hitting my middle age nicely. I was
0: going to say, I mean, it's just that rock and roll lifestyle, isn't it?
1: what about you can you bring it back with something more interesting
0: um well i'm not even going to try TJ. i'm just going to get straight into uh what i'm using because uh, i'm very excited because claire uh is over here on holiday or on vacation uh, for our american very nice uh and consequently she brought with her my latest sort of ration of stationery um stipend yeah so you know the stuff that i sort of you know, I put posts on social media saying, wow, these new things are in. Don't they look great? I haven't generally seen them, uh, when I, when I say those things. So I can't sort of say this edition is fantastic because I've not actually had yeah. it in hand. Um, but I do now have the field notes, uh, the mile marker, uh, which I think you've got as Very well. good. I think, think you've got some from yeah, us. Yeah. I some.
1: purchased them from, from Nero's, um, and the, the Nomad conspiracy.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I've got those too. I haven't opened those yet because uh, just the packaging itself is brilliant. Mm. Um, yep. But these uh, markers are, um, I think uh, the guys on Pen Addict uh, said this, these are classic Field Notes. They're, you know, Americana, slightly different, a bit funky, a bit cool. Um, yeah, love it. Fantastic. Get some of these now. They're great. Yep. From Nero's, obviously. Well, well, well indeed, all from Field Notes. Uh, if you're in the States, they're a very good to buy themselves. Um, and... I'm using a, the Mark 1 pen which um uh, I don't know I think a lot of our listeners probably listen to the same podcast as me so uh, it's from the guys uh, at Studio Neat who do a podcast with Mike Hurley called Thoroughly Considered.
1: Oh uh, I've heard of that one yeah. Yeah
0: so this was their um this is is their first attempt at a pen. Uh it, it looks quite a lot like a Baron Fig Squire if you've seen one of those. Um little bit fatter. Uh, it's got a very satisfying knock.
1: A mm. um, detent is the technical term, isn't it? Is it really? Good lord. A, a detent? A detent with an E on what? the end, no less. Uh, detente perhaps. Detente. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ah, yes. I think it's a different thing. <laughs> yes, I think
0: that's a diplomacy thing, isn't it? Um It's a it's a it's a nice pen. Um I've gotta say I'm not Bowled over by it in any way, Um, but then again, it's a rollable, so it's you know it does what rollables do. Uh, It's a great refill, it's a Schmidt refill. It writes really well.
1: Um, That's that's all I can say about it, to be honest. Uh, What about you? I am writing with a Tombow Eighty Nine Hundred in Two B, which I dug out of my my archives on my new notebook because I finally, finally finished the expedition. Uh, Field notes: Three missions, Mercury.
0: Okay, very good. Nice mm-hmm, notebook. I'm enjoying them both.
1: Yeah, it's a lovely notebook. I haven't used them. I actually got the three-pack of the three missions, gifted one uh, to a coworker worker uh, because she really likes space stuff, and I thought this is a perfect one. So I think I gave her the... I'm not sure it's the Apollo one. I think it's the other one. Mercury, Apollo, and the other one. The other one I gave her. Um, So this is the first one I've used. It's really nice. I like a good... Dot, great, I'm enjoying it. And yeah, the Tombow 8900 with the Blackwing point guard on it. So it's a nice ferrule Japanese pencil mm-hmm. with this nice matte black American um, point protector on. So it looks good. And they're both in my Pony Express Field Notes leather case, which I dug out as well. Yeah, it
0: sounds fr- Oh yeah, I saw that on um, an Instagram post. Was it an EDC Instagram mm-hmm. post or a story or something? Oh yeah. Um, uh, I think it was a little bit of both, yeah. Yeah, very nice. Very, very cool patches. I I've always found them really
1: impractical, but very cool. Yeah, they're they're a size that is slightly too large for most pockets. Mm.
0: Yeah, but unless I have large pockets. Unless yeah, unless dungarees come back, I'm not sure they're going to really work for me. But um, I I do own one. Um, and I do I just like sort of having it, touching it. Oh, it's a
1: lovely, it. lovely piece of leather.
0: Yeah. Uh, Right then, so where do we go? Oh, watching. Well, I'm. It's a bit dull for me. I'm still watching Blacklist. Um, uh, Netflix Cyprus hasn't hasn't pulled any fast ones and said, "Ha ha, you can stop halfway through a season." Uh, so I'm now, I suppose, two thirds of the way through season three. Um, and oh, I don't know. That would have been 2015. So I suppose it's a bit late for spoilers. Um, <laughs> a, a major character um, dies. Now, uh, the major character has, in fact, uh, their death has been faked in previous episodes. So there's a sort of part of me that's going, ah, but are they really dead? (laughs) Fool me once. Mm. And there's another part of me that's going, Oh, it's rather a shame. I was, I was quite fond of them. Um, this time it's going to stick. Yeah. So, so I'm kind of slightly in mourning, uh, the, A new rhythm has emerged in the Lennon household, uh, ostensibly driven by the dog, but I don't think it is really. So Margaret goes to bed quite early, which used to be my stunt. Um, I I used to sort of struggle to keep my eyes open beyond 10 Mm -hmm. o'clock. So she now goes to bed around about that time. And I say, well, I'll just watch one episode of The Blacklist and then let the dog out for a final comfort break before... She goes to sleep. Of course, the dog is, uh, at this point, already unconscious on the couch next to me. But anyway, so I wake <laughs> her up for a comfort <laughs> break. Uh, and naturally enough, yeah, Netflix, much like Facebook, I think is designed, um, it's the same as YouTube. There is no possible way that you can watch one video on YouTube. And there is no possible way that you can watch one episode on Netflix. mm mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, So before I know it, um, we're we're passing midnight and I'm thinking, oh, I really ought to make an effort to let the dog out and go to bed. Um, And as a consequence, I'm flying through uh, the blacklist uh, and I'm a very tired boy (laughs) come morning time when when I'm up at six again. But
1: there you are. Um, Yeah, I've done exactly the same thing with Facebook, by the way. I went today to post some uh, photographs to uh, a work page um, of an event that we had recently. And went on with the intention of doing it, immediately got sidetracked by my personal feed. Before you continue, you can get an app that will turn off your
0: or hide from you, your own Facebook feed. I can't oh, okay. remember what it's called, yeah. which is an entirely pointless thing to say on a podcast, but, um, I will look it out for you because it's in, it's in an interview with, um, Cal Newport, who was talking about digital minimalism and it's uh the oh i'll find the link and put it in show notes but um yeah you can you can buy an app that will stop your your own feed distracting you but let's face it none of us want that to happen we just i'm the same you open the erasable group before you know it an hour and a half is gone
1: but i did that i went onto the website to post some to upload some images for a work thing got sidetracked spent about 15 minutes reading stuff and posting things and then closed facebook and went off and did something else and thought Hold on! I didn't actually do the thing I came here to do. <laughs> there you go.
0: But the stats will show your active daily user, TJ Cosgrove. Boom.
1: Yeah. The Facebook sinkhole. Uh, well, you know. And what about you? Are you watching anything? Uh, yeah, watching Riverdale with Meg, which is a good little dark series. We're enjoying it. It's getting it's equal parts predictable and 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 fun. And there's elements of why are you doing this? Don't be an idiot. The clear option is this, and then they do the opposite. So it's it's typical horror movie tropism where sure. the audience knows what is going to happen mm-hmm. and the characters act as if, you know, common sense is not something that happens in this universe. And it's a little bit frustrating, but it's also very good and it's enjoyable. So uh, it crosses over with Sabrina at some stage, which is the other Netflix series. So I'm kind of tentatively okay. watching along until I can sense a crossover. And then I think we'll maybe double, you know, double hand fist these these episodes and try and get two in one
0: all right very cool and uh, i'm just looking ahead to show notes that listening i I don't know what's gone on here there's been some sort of role reversal um (laughs) you're listening to proper rock music and i'm listening to what uh, i uh, this was one of those um ask siri things so (laughs) yeah it looks like you've been auto-generated a title (laughs) Yeah, no, I said I said to Siri, uh, play some Summer Chill. Now, I had no idea what I thought I was asking for.
1: Um,
0: and uh, as I'm sure everybody knows, these things are incredibly verbose, these digital assistants. So she came back with quite literally a 40-second answer, which was something along the lines of, okay, here's Summer Chill, Summer Lounge Electronic. By electronic
1: summer chill lounge, summer chill, 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 summer lounge. <laughs> it's like an eBay product listing where they're not sure what they're trying to who the target market is. So they just keep listing nouns and adjectives until they hit everything.
0: Yeah, in, in the old days, you'd call this keyword stuffing. They literally <laughs> put everything in there, and then some very generic sort of summer chill stuff started. Um, and then in desperation, because I find using these digital assistants really difficult because you can't browse. We well, certainly can't. Yeah. Siri. I mean, maybe you can't yeah, with other it's ones. almost
1: targeted, but in the wrong way. So I'm, I'm standing thinking, oh, I want to listen. What do I want to listen?
0: To? Oh. oh, Foo fighters, which has now become my default. Yeah.
1: That's and my lot you, you're
0: on. Yeah. You know, if I'm trying to sit down and do some work, it's not ideal <laughs> to be honest. It's a little bit disruptive. Um, so yeah, I'm having trouble with my, my digital assist, or at least my imagination. Um, and you are listening to, well, what can only be described as good music. What's brought this Oasis? on?
1: Oasis. Um, yeah, I, the song popped up in a mix of other things. It was uh, The Importance of Being Idle. Uh-huh. Uh, and that popped up by Oasis. And I thought, oh, that's pretty good. I've listened to Oasis in the past. It's not a band that I'm unfamiliar with. And uh, I'd listened to a lot more of that kind of music in university. Um so there's there's stuff that i heard about there before, like the wombats and the vaccines and things like that, which is all mm-hmm. great. So just kind of got back into a little bit of that swing. So every now and again, listening to those, listened on the way home on the train, actually. Yeah, and yeah, just be a bit to be of the TJ Cosgrove, you know, rebel without a clue phase. <laughs> yeah, I'm rebelling against uh, having to do gardening on my weekends. <laughs> that was
0: you're having an early midlife crisis. Early <laughs> it's life more crisis. Of a three-
1: Three quarters of a quarter life crisis. Whatever the fractions are. Americans are better at fractions than I am.
0: <laughs> the anti-adulting kickback. <laughs>
1: I'll
0: tell you what, there's a lot of hashtags in this episode. Mm. Okay, what about reading then? I've um, I've actually, ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourselves. I've finished a book. Hooray! <laughs> um, so All the Birds in the Sky, uh, the sort of fantasy, sci-fi type thing. Annie um, Murphy special. That's the one. Uh, very good. Um, I suppose, would I say I'm in love with it? Probably not. I don't know if I'm going to immediately go out uh, and look at uh, more work from the same author. But I enjoyed it, and I suspect I will return to it. It's not really my genre, to be honest, but um, I did enjoy it. Very good. And I'm still, um, I wouldn't say battling through, but going through... Digital minimalism minimalism uh by cal newport um i may i I may be suffering from having overread in this subject area i think yeah um, I it's know.
1: one of those ones where you start hitting the overlaps that the authors would have so you get saturated
0: yeah. i mean I think you know touching on the i i'm sure you saw the slack chat uh earlier today yeah um touching on that area i don't think you could accuse cal Newport of um of sort of putting a a five-page book together and turning it into 250 pages. And I think he he does (laughs) uh, know his stuff and he does research and he does reference correctly. He does all of the things that one should do. Um, But there are a lot of books out there that have covered, at least tangentially, the same sort of subjects. So I think maybe I'm just a bit bored of it, to be honest.
1: I reach nonfiction saturation very quickly, especially if it's a similar vein. So we just we finished reading Company One. And I was like, right, I need to dive into some fiction here because I need something mm. as far from this on the spectrum of literacy literature as possible.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I think that's probably wise counsel. I, I should probably do the same. I mean, the other thing here is that the summer's come out. Um, yeah, and so the idea of of reading not it's not dry, but you know, sort of academic writing around. Mm. How Facebook is sucking your brain out. Um is it's like, it's oh, a bit sunny. Can I just have a cold beer and have some nice music? <laughs> Let um, me read something fun. But uh yeah, that's I mean that's probably more out of relief than anything else. We were beginning to believe that Summer had in fact decided not to bother coming to uh, the Eastern Med. Mm, um,
1: yeah, just but, as a weather weather update, we've actually had some sunshine. I'm not sure we know what to do with it, but we've had some.
0: Good heavens. So, well, that's probably why we're not getting enough. You're pinching it all before it gets this far.
1: <laughs> yeah, we have got to have a wee bit though, because uh, we're not quite sure what to do with the big hydrogen ball in the sky, because it's a bit <laughs> unknown. But uh, it was—I think it reached the heady heights of double figures today. So um, we were all t-shirts and shorts.
0: Uh, okay. Well, we we were uh, mid twenties today, so it's oh, very nice. Um, whatever that is in uh, Fahrenheit, mid twenties—nonsense. Be- oh,
1: seventies maybe. <laughs> I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. Um, What about you? Are you reading? Yeah, I'm still reading The Long Earth. uh, By reading, I, of course, mean listening, which is the same thing when it's an audiobook. Uh, Strong opinion there. Um, Sorry, Dave. Sorry. (laughs) Fight me. Um, The Long Earth, uh, Terry Pratchett and Stephen Baxter. Uh, Really, really good, actually. Really interesting mix of... Uh, sci-fi and fantasy. Obviously, Terry Pratchett would be more on the fantasy end of the the spectrum, whereas Mm -hmm. Stephen Baxter is a well-known sci-fi author, who I haven't actually read before this, so I'm looking into some of his books next. But it's it's one of those ones that I think is a really good crossover. So if you normally read fantasy books and you think, ah, sci-fi is not for me, it's not really my jam, read this one. There's enough of the fantasy elements. It's a very interesting spin on the story that... I think someone like me who loves sci fi could read it one way, and someone who loves Lord of the Rings, Elves, Trolls, and that kind of thing could read it and enjoy it from that perspective. So there's a it, it's not quite one fits all, mm-hmm. but I think certainly there are different streams that you can read it in and you can enjoy it for different things, so it's not one of those one that pigeonholes itself. Yeah, good. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it.
0: Splendid. Drinking uh, so where are we now? Oh drinking, yes, well phew, I'd say the sun's come out. Uh so uh there was there was quite a beer this afternoon. I'm I'm on my, my second drinking session of the day. Um we had a barbecue today, a few beers, and then I um I had a proper siesta.
1: Old man <laughs> that I <Very> am.
0: <laughs> I closed my eyes and before I knew it an hour and a half had passed. Do you long have long. a hammock? Uh no i'd be terrified of a hammock TJ. i've got visions of being catapulted across the concrete
1: <laughs> okay I mean, fine. Uh, but I I do mean it some. doesn't really fit with the vision though I wanted the the straw hat and the cat- the hammock but fine
0: uh, it's a little comfy chair um uh sort of deck cherry type thing and uh from a well known Swedish retailer of your uh acquaintance um and the dog on the one next to me she's she's quite keen on oh, lazing around her. in the sun she quite likes that um so yeah, drinking Keogh and uh, just had one of the Lennonellos, uh, my wife's homemade limoncello. It's very, very cheeky. And what about you? Are you still Irish lagering or have we moved on from that?
1: No, no, we're still on that. I have a couple more cans left, but uh, I finished my 8-hour binging uh, landscaping session yesterday and collapsed into the house and got a bath, a hot bath with a cold beer. That mm. uh, was the, the salve of the evening. So that was really, really good, actually. Um So I've had about two cans last night and I think I've got two or three left in the fridge. Um, So that'll do me another six months or so. Well,
0: it's a particular Cosgrove thing. It's something about washing and drinking beer. It's (laughs) very much connected for you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I feel like it's it's when I'm relaxing. So I don't tend to do long showers anymore because I'm paying the electricity bill. So it distinctly puts it (laughs) into perspective. Uh, But long baths. I mean, a hot bath and a cold beer is, I can't think of a better pairing.
0: Well, uh, there you are. I've got to say, it's been a long time since I had a bath. Not because of any hygiene issues, but um, I've just become <laughs> a shower man. I, it's mm.
1: last, we have oh, a pool, was, so you could go... Ten years? You could hot beer, cold pool, I guess, if you want, but...
0: Well, sure yeah, it's, it's still pretty cold. Um <laughs> I say, we've got visitors at the moment, and the... Um, uh the eleven year old Molly has put her toe in the in the pool and declared, hmm, maybe yep. if we get a warm day. <laughs> that that was her <laughs> Yeah her verdict. Um although she did go swimming in the Med today, so um it's, Which I'm sure um, was slightly warmer. Yeah, it would be. So uh I can't put it off for much longer. I'm gonna have to start the uh the swimming season. Um <laughs> partly partly because I'm not gonna fit into any of my clothes soon. Uh unless I do. Right then, buying what have you been buying TJ?
1: Mm, landscaping supplies. I bought So I I didn't realize this was a regional thing, but apparently uh bark, like the outside of a tree, which is what we call mulch Woof. is yes, on the dog noise. Um we I've always called it bark, you know, the the, the shredded uh plant material that you walk on in in parks mm-hmm. so you have in in plant beds, always been called bark. Is so he trying to google that or search it on YouTube to get some ideas? Not a thing. Not a thing people know. Dog videos. Uh, Pictures of trees. No, it's mulch. That's the American term, mulch. So yeah, bark or mulch and some plants and some uh, manure, not manure, uh, compost, Mm -hmm. some other bits and pieces, gardening supplies, uh, secateurs, gloves, Wow! all the good stuff. Yeah. It turns out you can't get a good pair of secateurs for less than 11 pounds.
0: Yeah, I could believe that. There is a blade involved after all.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what else did we buy? Anything interesting? Yeah, because we we bought the secateurs because I, I tried three consecutive pairs of scissors that did not want to cut the tree. Um, <laughs> yeah, a uh, figure. You'll find that figures. with scissors. Yeah. Yeah. So we tried one like quite chunky pair of scissors we have, and it it folded in such a way that scissors shouldn't. So you know the way scissors are, you know, they're sort of bound and they they open in one axis. These ones went the other direction. Uh, trying to cut this, so we stopped using those ones, and then I had another pair that I thought were sturdier, and so Meg brought those out and I gave them a go, uh, and immediately snapped the handle off. The little like folding scissors, they were quite stout, and so they sort of pulled out into like a uh, from the handle into the pair of scissors, and so the handle snapped off. So oh great, that's fantastic. So I went to bin them, uh, but the blades were now out and stuck open, so I thought, right, that's going to just tear through a bin bag or stab someone, so I need to put them away. <laughs> So sort of had to try and clamp these scissors together to close them, uh, which they did. But before they did, they sprung open and smashed the, the, the blade into my finger. Uh, so just basically the, the cross section of my finger opened up um, just because I just played with scissors, basically. So that was good. And then I had to, I didn't have any bandages. Don't know why we don't have any plasters in the house. So I ended up with toilet roll wrapped around the finger and then uh, electrical tape wrapped around that. For the duration of the day, so just a stellar approach. And then we bought went and bought secateurs, and that was fine.
0: I think I think this is the house giving you those lessons. It's uh, <laughs> okay. Here's a couple of millennials. Oh look, they're coming at the garden with scissors. This should be fun. No, <laughs> no, 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 sweet dear child. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, I take it you've now got a first aid box as well.
1: Uh, yes, we have a first aid yeah, box, and we see, have secateurs. So, see, two lessons learned for the price of one. <laughs> and Homebase, the DIY store, was uh, vigorously raided. I think we were back three times. And uh, Meg had changed clothes twice because she sort of went, we went on the way back from different somewhere. Outfit. Yeah, different outfits. So she came back and she said that the cashier kept looking at her like, definitely seen you before, but you look different and I'm- you're buying different things. So I don't, mm, not sure what's happening.
0: You can just imagine the staff meeting.
1: <laughs> that that <laughs> yeah, night. Alarmed.
0: <laughs> did you, did you see those two? She kept changing clothes, and every time he came back on, he had a different piece of electrical tape round a digit. <laughs> Another injury. <laughs> I think they're in yeah. they're in some sort of uh, Northern Irish version of uh, of the blacklist.
1: Hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So actually, funny enough, I worked in a home base, which is our our DIY store. I worked in one for one month. <laughs> Not in the exactly. second section, presumably. Not in the second department. No. Um, yeah, although I did before, the, the, so I worked in home base when I was at university for one month and there was one right around from where we, we rented a, a house in, uh, in England where we were living and, uh, right around the corner was a home base and I went and got a part-time job just to sort of support myself during university. And literally after a month, I'd sort of just about got over the barrier of meeting people, chatting to people and getting used to the job and the work and learning the till systems and all that. Literally had just done that. And then on a film shoot through uh, university, I dislocated my kneecap and couldn't walk. And um, after about three weeks, they just rang me and went, yeah, no, that's not really going to (laughs) work, is it? (laughs) So I had a job for for 30 days in a home base. So I I feel a, a vague sense of affinity with other home base employees, but no real loyalty otherwise.
0: Perhaps the how to prune a rose lesson was
1: coming in week five. Who knows? That's it. Yeah, I missed out. That's why.
0: <laughs> and as a consequence, he only has nine fingers.
1: Hmm. I can count to seven really well.
0: <laughs> oh, I I must share an anecdote about that one day. I've got a friend who's only got nine fingers, but we'll we'll cover that some other time. <laughs> um, well, like I've one. been really good. I haven't bought anything. Um, Excellent. I I uh, yeah. It's it's been most unlike me. Actually, I've been. I've been reasonably productive doing lots of different things, but not buying things. So that's good. I mean, I'm trying to think that. Have I bought an app? Have I bought a book? No, no, I've bought nothing. That's good. That Thanks in on. itself is worth noting down. I think <laughs> right then. Um, parish notices and life changes. Mm-hmm. I've got a few here. Um, some of which I will, I will give you the abridged version. Um, yeah. Uh, the first one is golf. Uh, that's a, that's a game, TJ, you play it in fields and stuff. I know it's Wait, not is really that the your big
1: bag. orange ball or the small white ball? Which one's that? Little white ball. Little, little white ball. White ball? Oh, okay. Chase this it around
0: one. with sticks and stuff. It's, um. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very odd game. I think Mark Twain memorably called it a good walk ruined. Um, <laughs> but to the <laughs> six people who listen to the podcast who also play golf, um, I at the turn was one under gross. I finished up six overgrowths, which with a handicap of 30 means I was seven under. And this was in the monthly medal. For everybody else, of course, I appreciate I've just been speaking Greek. Don't worry about it. It's fine. (laughs) I played well. It went well. That happens one in a hundred times when you play golf. And to play that well happens one in a thousand times. So I was over the moon. Delighted. My okay. inner tiger so you woods. You did a good golf. I did a good golf. There was a lot of good golf batting <laughs> going on. Um, and as a subsequent, as a subsequent, now there's a word that I've just made up. As a consequence, <laughs> I now have a little glass that says medal winner.
1: <clears throat> oh, well done.
0: Um, which I've told uh, Margaret, she now needs to win five so that we can have a set of six because I'll never win one again. Um, and uh, yes, uh, my handicap has been cut, uh, and lots of people are under the misapprehension that I'm good at golf. Which um I will disprove <laughs> that theory the next time I pick up a golf bat. I'm certain
1: you can um, technically, though, call yourself an award-winning golfer now. Though, uh, yeah,
0: no, no, I've won several competitions in the past, TJ. But oh, okay, those okay. were those were mostly competitions
1: that I organised. <clears throat> Yes. No nepotism whatsoever.
0: No 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 no. No, absolutely. It was all <laughs> gentleman sport, oh boy, gentleman sport. Um so that was that was great fun. That was Saturday, and then later that day the wellers arrived. So Claire, who everybody from Nero's Notes will know because she does all the uh uh the dispatch of all the packages, all the wonderful little gift wrapped stuff that she does. Mm-hmm. Um she's over here with her hubby and her daughter uh for a week. Um, just having the crack, really. We're having a, well, they're having a lovely time so far. Um, I, a bit of beach action for them today. The wife was playing golf. I was on the terrace. I mean, living the dream, living the dream. Uh, so that's been my last couple of days, which have been very exciting. And earlier in the month, we got a letter. Um, it was in early March, actually, which through my magical admin, um, I sort of completely ignored for a while. Um, mm-hmm. then found it and forgot to mention it twice. <laughs> um, so, uh, the writer may, may well no longer be with us, but hopefully he is still listening. Um, it's Michael, I think. Um, although he spells his name a bit strangely when he signs it. So who knows? I want to give you a couple of quotes. He was very nice in the letter, but a couple of quotes I want to share. Okay. Um, we had spoken about the pen addicts reaching 350 episodes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he has written inconceivable as it is to have a podcast about pens. It's even crazier to think of a podcast just about analog stuff and one with the first half being two guys just catching up on their week. Yeah. But here we are, regardless. <laughs> Never really thought of it like that, but yeah, it's a bit sort of, um, that's, I mean, that's the best summary. That should be on the website. <laughs> the <strap really>. <laughs> there you go. Everything okay, you need plan. to know. Uh, thank you for that. Um, but he also says uh, he, he thanks us for not missing a week. Um, he finds it, yeah. finds it comforting that, uh, we pop up in his feed every Monday, uh, which is a lovely thing to say. And then his very next line is, even if I don't listen to it for a few weeks.
1: <sighs> <laughs> he wants to know they're there. He likes stacking them up yeah. like Netflix episodes. Yeah, I suppose so.
0: Um, <laughs> and then the final one, uh, which I had to put in really was, uh, Stuart, you really need to get TJ into fountain pens.
1: Mm, So you did actually try, you got me a really nice titanium fountain pen, Mm -hmm. uh, which I still have. And actually was thinking about digging out recently for something. So that may well form more. I have a couple of pens here, so I could probably start using pens more or write our show notes in in ink, which would be horrendously impractical.
0: Well, it's now that you're adulting, you see, you have to (laughs) sign contracts and stuff. It's an inevitable fall now
1: Mm, into the world of fountain pens i could start I, signing the deeds to the landscapers I need to bring in to fix all the problems they've started,
0: <laughs> or at least bring but <laughs> the
1: But um, the
0: the the thing that I remember today because I was listening to the latest pen addicts, which was uh, live from the Atlanta pen show.
1: Yes, I saw some um, photos of that.
0: And and Brad was talking. You know, when he started the pen addicts, sort of almost the opening line was, "I don't like fountain pens." <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was all about other types of pens so um, they're coming for you DJ the fountain mm. pens are coming uh, but no that was a lovely letter so thank you Michael if I've got your name wrong thank you very much do, do phone in email shoot me just something yell like that. really loudly yell um, and well that's it for me what about you
1: uh, nothing really new or exciting uh, apart from the uh, garden escapades I'm still posting daily on Instagram I uh, did my last one on the way home on the train so if you go and look at my Instagram, it's a picture of uh, me writing something in my notebook. I don't want to give it away, but look for today. Today is Monday, the 8th of the 4th for us. So look at my Instagram feed. You'll see my thing from today and a little peek behind the curtain. I did that sitting in the window seat on the train home uh, and I because I'd sort of not forgotten all day, but it was in the back of my mind while I was doing other things and I knew you needed to post something. So I opened up my notebook and a little wee thing and then posted an image, so Still enjoying it, still think it's quite useful. It's it's interesting to look at the insights. I've been doing a little bit of uh, A-B testing, um, unscientific as it is, and just kind of going, well, what if I try this? What if I try that? And seeing what resonates with people, what people like seeing, what people comment on. Um, part of me doesn't like that whole metric-driven stuff. Part of me is interested to see where people actually come from and why they're interested in content. Um, because you can kind of drill down and see how many people are coming... have not followed your account so they're just getting this content for the first time and they're seeing your your photos for the first time so it's quite interesting to see that but certainly the the creative challenge of having to find something interesting to post every day is Mm -hmm. really nice i like that i'm enjoying it Uh, and long may it continue i'm I'm set up to do more and more and more there's plenty more for me to show i've just figured if i show a different pencil and a different thing i've worked on uh, then i could probably get another year or two out of this before i need to repeat anything Mm-hmm. Well, I just had a, a sneaky little look at it now. Yeah, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's very good. Yeah, just little little snippets. and uh, Little and often, I think, is the term. Uh, so just closet. sharing bits and pieces. And I, I'm enjoying the process. So uh, I can see that it's, people are starting to look more at the, the YouTube channel. People are starting to follow the account. That's great. Those are all you know, KPIs and all that nonsense that people want to know. Those are all positives. But for the most part, I'm enjoying it. And it's worthwhile when I see people engaging... And going, that's cool. And I want to write with that, or I love this. And the comments actually are far more beneficial to me than any of the engagement nonsense because it's like, mm. oh, that person actually cared enough to say something. Sure. Or, um, you know, this is great. You know, I like that interaction. So I'm going to keep doing it for a good while yet. Splendid.
0: And you've put some of. The eighteen fifty sevens up on the YouTube as the YouTube. Sorry, I sounded about one hundred and thirty. The YouTube (laughs) next to the Facebook.
1: Yes, I have the first five episodes. I haven't done anything with them yet, so they're on there, ready to go. What I will do is I will release them to our slackers. So this is a a point of contact. If you want to to listen to these episodes on YouTube, you want to get the links. Join the Slack group; it's really really worth it. It's good chat anyway. Uh, But I am going to release those to the slackers this week, probably today or tomorrow. And see if they think it's worthwhile, see what they think, check audio quality, all that jazz. Uh, and then I think we'll start uploading the podcast both here on Simplecast and as a as a podcast for your pod catchers. But then also as a YouTube video episode because uh, I had a couple of requests for that. So what I'm interested in is which order works best because there are three permutations I can see. I start at five, which I'm currently up to. So six towards what this will be is, what, 64? So then mm-hmm. I just move linearly from lowest to highest. Do I do the reverse of that? Do I start and release this episode next and then work backwards towards five? Or do I do alternate episodes moving from either end and meeting in the middle somewhere in the 40s? Hmm. I want to know what people think. Will yeah, people listen to the other one? What's, what's the best yeah. approach?
0: Oh, obviously, as as I think it's the YouTube, I'm probably not qualified to comment. <coughs> but then I don't know how to work it. <laughs> Bloody ridiculous, what? Cool. Well, there we go. How are we doing time-wise? Oh, t- only 38 minutes? Mm-hmm. Heavens. Well, it'll probably only be about 35 because there was a little <clears throat> microphone issue earlier.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry. Different computer today. Um, yeah, so I feel like we've jipped Dave. He's only got a... A 38 minute episode this week
0: yeah but he's a very very busy guy TJ That's he's true. got a lot of demands on his time he will Maybe be we can condense
1: it and we could just like give, give a quick like 15 second spec of the, the episode at the beginning and then busy people yeah. can just like jump in and go oh okay no not interested in
0: that yeah, it's all the rage isn't it That's uh, it's all over all social media uh, Harry yeah. Marks he's a big fan of that <laughs>
1: We can't say that. We have to. We have to clarify because, though, though I know it's sarcasm, it's libel or defamation if we keep saying it long. I, I, I haven't
0: looked into the tweet that actually um, irked Harry, but mm. uh, he came onto the Slack and was well, shall we say, slightly scathing um, about somebody who had posted around one of these sort of. Um, I think it was a summary service where, mm. where rather than reading a book, you should. Go and find a, a YouTube video on the same subject and get the key points. Um, and, you know, I'm with Harry on this. I mean, it's akin to sort of, you know, Romeo and Juliet. Boy meets girl. Goes a bit badly. Families get a bit dodgy. Everybody dies. You know, <laughs> there is more to a book yeah. than the, just the key plot points. Um, or there should be anyway. Um, and I, I, I've, I've, I've had a Harry moment or two on social media. Not recently. Uh, when these services get sort of pushed into my timeline on one of the services, saying, you know, not enough time to read a book. Let us read it for you and pull out 16 points that mean nothing at all. And fire them out. And we'll charge you 14 times the price of the book. Yes. Context? Who
1: needs context? That's for losers.
0: Yeah. And I've tweeted back something that's involved quite a lot of Anglo-Saxon um, language.
1: <laughs> there you are. Yeah, we took it to the extreme in the Slack comments where you get a summary of the summary uh, that then summarizes summarily the summary uh, and then someone can give you the uh, the transcripts from that video summary that you can then read.
0: Indeed. Yes, yes, we, we do not approve here in our little <laughs> analogue corner of the world. We're not big fans of that. The seal of disapproval has been stamped. Um, although, in fairness, uh, this will come up again when we finally get to our topic. Which?
1: What is our topic, TJ? Well, we had my video workflow, so I thought it was only fair that we have Stu's writing process and Stu's writing workflow.
0: If only there was one, TJ. If oh, only well, there, there you was go.
1: one, sorted episode. This short one this week, forty-two minutes. There, call it up. Uh, well,
0: I mean, my my original <laughs> show note was actually, yep. What you do is you do Nano Um I can briefly explain what that is. That's National Novel Writing Month. Um, I'm going to get the month wrong now. Is it, is it November or October? One of the two. Uh, yes. Um, yes, quite. TJ will look that up and put it in the show notes. Um, but the deal is that you, uh, with NaNoWriMo is that you, you basically spew it all out. You, you feel you've got a book inside you, write it. Uh, and to win NaNoWriMo, which wins you nothing at all, but the adulation of your peers is, To complete 50,000 words in a calendar month, uh, which works Mm -hmm. out at 1,666 per day, give or take, uh, which sounds a lot, is a lot, but is, uh, surprisingly easier than you might imagine. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I did. So I am, I did, I did it twice actually. So I did NaNoWriMo, won it, went, okay, I can do this. Uh, and then fired straight on the next month, which is no longer Nano but I was in the rhythm, and and did it again. Um, and had therefore the first draft of two novels. Um, I I took the advice that people say, okay, well, you should then let that rest, put it in a drawer, uh, go away, work on something else, uh, and like then come a Christmas back. Christmas turkey, it. just let it let it simmer in its own juices. More, yeah, more of a Christmas pudding. You just just feed it a little bit of brandy every now and again, and. <laughs> And it'll be fine. Um, so I I left it alone for I don't know two and a half three years or something, <laughs> the appropriate <laughs> amount of time <laughs> exactly. Um, and and got on with uh, just avoiding anything to do with writing, and then came back to it and went, this is all garbage, uh, which which incidentally first drafts do tend to be. I think I think yeah. Ernest Hemingway uh, rather pithily put it: uh, the first draft of anything is. <laughs> um,
1: Thanks for that extra editing work. <laughs> yes, well,
0: he had a way with words, did Ernest. I think you're allowed to quote Ernest um, without getting a, an explicit tag. Um, and it was oh, it was a very sobering thing to do to read through it and go, oh no, this doesn't really make sense. And to realize that it was very unstructured and it, you know just as a story which essentially a novel must be in my opinion didn't really work yeah um and so that then gets you into a whole discussion point around um uh, there's a there's a trope i suppose or a meme call it what you will of the planner versus the pantser uh, a planner being hopefully self-evident and a pantser being someone who flies by the seat of their pants, um, and sort of sits down and sort of spews the novel out rather than having any real, um, plan of action or structure around which they're going to build. Uh, and I've written several things. I, I sort of weekly I do a, a blog post on my website, stuartlannon.com, um, about my writing process, uh, A, what I'm doing and B, what I'm trying to do. And I'm convinced that a pantser is just a planner without a notebook. So, in your head? Yeah, the people like, uh, I think that, you know, Stephen King made the phrase quite, quite popular because he spoke about his writing process and he's very fluid and uh, very creative. I mean, the man's written about a hundred and something novels. So yeah. He's pretty, pretty good at it by now. He sold more books than anyone, I mean, millions um and I, I whilst i you know i'm sure he's not making it up sorry but of course he is making it up he's writing a novel but i'm sure that when he says he sits down and just writes he already knows in his mind those sort of key points of the book he already has a mental yeah. plan of where it's going
1: it's like saying Whereas a carpenter sits down and just makes a chair like they know what they're doing. They have a process. It's not just like, oh, I wonder if it should have legs. Yeah, exactly. And I mean,
0: it's not to say that you can't be a pantser. You certainly can. I mean, I have got um, 130,000 words. Uh, so I can turn that into a novel. I, I have yeah. no doubt. Um, all I I would say and um, that I've learned is that that is not the best way to get to an end novel. Even though I would consider myself, um, in pretty much all things, <laughs> more of a pantser than a planner. Yeah. Th- the next book I write will be planned and I will invest a lot more time at the front of the process, doing the same things as I'm now doing sort of in the middle of the process to try and wrangle, um, that first draft. So, um, doing a second draft or editing as some people call it or rewriting as, people more accurately call it Um, (laughs) (laughs) what i'm doing now is is sort of placing a structure over a big sort of unwieldy blodge of words and trying to get them to sort of fit onto that structure in some way so that's the the big debate that goes on and i think the biggest thing i've learned uh, is that planning a novel uh a is a lot of fun and B, I think, makes it much, much easier to get to a finished result. So where I am with my uh, WIP um, work in progress is that I have two novels that I've now decided are actually one novel because there's quite a lot of rubbish in both. Now, the um, Harry Potter or Star, Star Wars concession? <laughs> well, something like that, yeah. Maybe not quite at the same level. But I'm, I'm optimistic. So... Um, I believe that that's one, one novel. I'm, I've redrafted now a sort of timeline, a, a plot, uh, a sort of three act uh, shape, which I'm now molding and taking bits of my draft and also taking bits of my draft and going, well, that's not going to get anywhere because that doesn't work or it's badly written or it doesn't fit with how I want things yeah. to, to, to happen. Uh, and I'm, I've, uh, I'm going to publish it this year come hello high water because i've also reached that whole um understanding of of done not perfect yeah um because procrastination which is something that i dare say we may talk about in a moment um is a is a real that there are there are beautiful and wonderful ways that you can use procrastination to disguise Uh, all sorts of underlying things, imposter syndrome, that's a big one, Mm. Uh, insecurity. Uh, Writing a book is, uh, there's a lot of you in a book Uh, and and giving that to other people in any form, it must be the same with with video, is, um, it it makes you quite vulnerable.
1: Yeah, it's almost like, here, look at this thing I made, but uh, yeah, just know that I spent a lot of time and I'm really proud of it, so don't tear it apart. But also like, what do you honestly think? Yeah. What do you honestly think? Just don't be honest if it's bad. (laughs) Just, just to be nice to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so there's a whole load of those sort of things that I've, I've learned about myself because as people may have gathered, I'm not generally someone who would be associated with the word insecurity or vulnerability, but, (laughs) um, that, that's what sort of writing does or it does to me anyway. I think it probably does Mm -hmm. to everyone. Um, so my, my process has been, uh, chaotic. Um, there's been that sort of huge burst of energy when I sold my business. Uh, I took a, a vacation and then sat down in front of a brand new shiny Mac, which I bought myself and went, okay, I'm a writer. <laughs> <Ta-da>! <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, started writing stuff and NaNoWriMo bang, bang, bang. And, you know, to be honest, if you, if you're not doing anything else, then 1600 words a day is, is frankly nothing. <laughs> there's there's, you know a lot of people who (laughs) are producing numbers yeah they're producing regular novels and doing 12 hours a day at work and bringing up kids yeah you know so to quote you earlier that this really is not digging a ditch Mm. sitting in front of a computer you can bang out 1600 or i can bang out 1600 words in a couple of hours two and a half hours Maybe, you know, concentrated work, sit down, bang, go. Um, So given that I'm an early riser, I can actually have that done by nine o'clock.
1: Which is Um, a good start. Yeah. "Hmm, I'm a writer with nothing to do. Guess I should just go not write. Yeah. And yeah, it's
0: amazing what a habit doing nothing can become. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I can't do that. I've got to do nothing. Yeah. uh, Literally, (laughs) you know, I ended up with these, these, big drafts and thought okay well i'm I'm not allowed to do anything with them now i should just put them to one side um and maybe i'll start working on something else and i'll I'll write some short stories for competitions and those very chaotic as I say, chaotic approach um and it all sort of changed for me when i met and i again it's the stew air quotes around the the microphone thing (laughs) um amanda amanda fleet who can be found at um, who I've never met, but met on Twitter, and we got talking, um, I met on a thing called um, writing chat, well, hashtag writing chat. So on a Wednesday evening at, oh, let me get this right, at 8 o'clock UK time, I think. Um, just come along, use the hashtag, chat away. Uh, and it's a bunch of very supportive folk who are all writers, most of them Brits, some Americans, um, just talking about writing, writing chat. Uh, and we were talking about writing buddies and whether they were a good idea or not. And lots of people would say, oh, yes, you must definitely have a writing buddy. Um, and Amanda and I sort of blind dated uh, in the middle of this Twitter chat. Sort of, I sidled up to her and said, uh, so uh, have you got a writing buddy? And she went, no. Have you? And I went, no, not as such. Um, and so then we split it down the middle. Uh, she did all the writing, uh, and I did all the buddy. <laughs> That's fancy. So, so uh, since that time, she's, she's published two novels. Um, I've sent some very supportive tweets, um, maybe even an email or two, who knows. Um, but Amanda was, or sorry, she is a doctor of physiology. So if you ever go and see a doctor, it was Amanda that taught the doctor how to be a doctor. So she's, she's kind of smart. Okay. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. And when I say kind of smart, I mean proper Premier League, proper smart. Um, and as I got talking to her and we, you know, we, we, we write to each other. We write letters, um, and exchanging letters. She writes some of the most extraordinary letters. Which you know, when I'm dead, hopefully I'll be famous and dead, um, and be, people <laughs> the best will go kind of through dead to be. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. People will go through my correspondence and pull these letters out from Amanda, who I uh, will certainly be famous. Like, oh, Amanda Fleet, oh, these are probably worth a few quid. What are these all about? And there'll be <laughs> this amazing anecdote that she just dropped casually into a letter once, and I, I'm sure she won't mind me sharing this. But she had um she had a heart condition. And that became um, an event, a cardiac event,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: is, um, it's not good. Anything that's called an event is, is a little bit scary in my view. Um, and of course, she's a doctor of physiology. She knows what's happening. Which is worse. And so this is the middle of a lecture. And she thought, well, I, I mean, obviously I can't carry on. I'll have to sit down. And continue giving the lecture, <laughs> sitting against the wall. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just reading this letter going, oh my God. Um, anyway, things worked out, everything was okay. But Amanda decided, I think probably quite wisely, that you know, maybe a slightly less stressful life was the way to go. Mm. So she became a writer. I'm not sure about that as a decision, but hey. Um And she, to my knowledge, has got nine or ten drafts, you know, different novels. Yeah. Uh, Two are published. I'm reading, at the moment, the third of an unpublished trilogy. Um, And I know of four or five more other projects that are sort of sitting on her hard drive. Um, She... She's been writing, I think, most of her adult life, but just for herself, sort of, you know, keeping it in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now all this stuff is coming out. And because of that, when when we sort of started up the writing buddy thing, I was sort of, you know, okay, so we're just going to encourage each other, and boom, I, you know, should we set up a Dropbox so that we can share stuff? I thought, you know, and you know, suddenly four and a half gigabytes of material appears there. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. In, in, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So writing scenes, eight pages on writing scenes. Are you sure? <laughs> um, and it's a, uh, you know, a collection of things that Amanda has picked up, uh, from, from some great resources and some of her own sort of processes that she's worked out herself, uh, through, th- through writing. And, you know, very kindly, she, she posts this stuff up and say, look, this is how I do it. You know, if you can find something from it, it great, you know uh knock yourself out and i of course ignored it all because <laughs> i'm a panzer i just just let it all flow what and of course now i'm sitting there going through it line by line sort of squeezing out every last drip of wisdom because it is um it's kind of how you might expect a really really smart academic to look at the problem mm-hmm. of producing a novel it's not a formula But it's close. So it says, you know, first thing I do is I sit down with a thought or an idea. might be a character. It might be a scene. It might be a premise. might be any of those things. And I muck about. And she uses a fountain pen, a notebook, and she just, just writes stuff. Ideas tumble around. She does that for a little while and then says, okay, is there a book in this? Or am I just having a bit of fun? If she decides it's a book, right, okay, out comes the new notebook. Let's build a basic plot line. Okay. From there, she then does a character. So she will, uh, there are about six or seven pages. It's a character profile. Um, it's a Word table document or an Excel document, whichever you prefer. And she, Amanda looks into and writes down and records and documents the color of the eyes, what the person's favorite color is, oh, wow. uh, where they went to school, what they liked at school, what's, what food do they like, what food do they not like, what things do they A massive sort of invest, a deep dive into this character, which, you know, sounds a bit silly because obviously the character only really exists in your head, so you know all the answers. But it, I cannot stress how important it is to write all that stuff down because I looked at my own work in progress. My character's name changes in the middle of the draft.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let yeah. alone what colour eyes he's got. Um Does he even have eyes? <laughs> exactly. And then you you know, you get to a stage where you're writing a description and you think, Okay, so how am I going to communicate that he's tired or whatever? And I I, I literally sat there going, I don't know what he looks like. And and that does happen because I suppose to a certain extent you're inside the mind of your protagonist.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: you're looking out. So yeah, I suppose like he looks like you. Yeah. Um, but if he doesn't look like you because you've painted him to be, you know, six foot two, made of muscle and skinny, um that's not gonna work. And the and the whole thing it's very easy for things to come unglued, I suppose is the point I'm making. Uh, and she does that work, not just on the main character, but on, say, pretty much all the top half of her book. So the big characters, the people who are there for more than a scene or two. Um, and she she goes deep and she puts in that time and effort to write all that down, to work out who these people are. Now, that doesn't mean that she, she can't change it, but it means that already she's got a big chunk of stuff. right, there's my characters. And then, as she's developing the plot, she can go, okay, I've got character TJ doing this Mm. in reaction to that. Does that fit with character TJ? Would character TJ do that? Hmm." Mm, It's like a series Bible for a TV show. Yeah. You're kind of looking at it going, yeah, that's not quite going to fit. And, you know, readers will feel that. If you can feel it, the reader will feel it.
1: I have a Lego Um, analogy for you.
0: Oh, so, do like a Lego analogy.
1: <laughs> Based on what you've told me, this is my, my layman's understanding. Um, Amanda's process is very much, you buy the Lego set, you take out all the individually labeled bags, you put those bags into dishes with the instructions in front of you, and you have them ordered so that the ones that you need in the, the beginning pages are here, and then you move linearly through, all the things are there, everything's set out in its appropriate place. Um, it's a very you know, thoroughly considered and smart way to do it. Uh, yep. Whereas the the pantsing approach, your approach is that you get the Lego box, you open all the bags, you pour it into a bucket, and then you look at the instructions and go, right, red brick. And then you stick your hand in the bucket and you go, and find the red brick. Almost.
0: The pantser approach is to do all of that, but just don't look at the instructions. <laughs> and and don't look at the picture. You must have no idea of what you're trying to build. Very important. Mm, just just um, a
1: bucket and and some dreams.
0: Absolutely. Something great will come out of it because you're a pantser. That's nonsense, clearly. Um, But yeah, you're halfway there. And this is the bit that I know um, for all those uh, stationary folk that listen to this uh, podcast, and I imagine there'll be a few of you, um, you're going to like this bit. Having got that sort of plot arc, the characters in place, Amanda will then take some index cards now, I can I can get technical on the size of these index cards, but I won't. So she gets some index cards, and she writes scenes. And the, there is a format on my my Dropbox. There is a, a prescribed format for the index card. So how do you get into the scene? How do you get out of the scene? Whose point of view is it from? What's the key action? What's the key obstacle? What, uh, this, is, this is all gold, this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you fill in an index card with a pen or, I suppose, a pencil, if you're a Northern Irish, you fill in an index card for each scene. And you have, then, a big pile of index cards. And you set them out on a dining room table. So you you now have a cork board, in effect, on Scrivener, the... um, The word processing, not word processing, but the the writing software. Uh, They have a cork board where you can do this virtually and move scenes Mm -hmm. about. Amanda does it, good old fashioned, analog. Right, here's that. Oh, I can't have that scene before that scene because that character doesn't know this.
1: So all that sort
0: of logical um, stuff that you might need to make it flow properly. But also, most importantly, you can then start marking up the scenes or if you're, Someone like Amanda or me, you start having different color cards, so for major plot beats, okay because most novels follow a sort of three act type, just like a film really uh, a three act framework where you've got this sort of you know build and build and build, and then a denouement and then a sort of resolution et cetera so there are there are key plot points throughout the acts
1: mm-hmm.
0: and if you build those in item for the sake of argument, on a red card or with red ink. You can place them on the table. And then you've got the scenes that build up to those. And then you might have the scenes where you're going to slow things down a little bit. If you're, you know, writing a thriller, you've got to be careful about it. If you go too fast, it just gets faster and faster. It's, um, what did somebody, it's um, the guys on Simon Mayo and Mark Kermode's, um yeah. film review podcast. They talk about Michael Bolton where he starts at the, the massive high, high note and he's got nowhere to go from there. Um, you've got to be careful in a novel that you don't just go, Bleh! Um You need some sort of pace to make it all work properly. And you can, you can map all this out and you can visually represent it with your index cards. So you can see whether there is the sort of right sort of beat to the story and the right rhythm to the story to move it forward. And she moves all that around on the the table until she's happy that she's got the general flow of the book. And then writing it is, well, frankly, it's easy. You've done most of the work. And you can actually sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write this scene, this scene, this scene. You could start at the start and just work through if you wanted to. And I suspect that's a logical way of doing it. But you might follow the arc of one character and finish him or her and then write, the arc of another character and then meld it all together. And if you're using um, either a notebook or um, I suppose this is where a digital version really comes in, if you're going to use something like Scrivener or Ulysses, you write it scene by scene and you keep those scenes as little units, which means you can then move them around.
1: Hmm.
0: But the whole thing, well, the whole thing becomes incredibly manageable. Because if you've decided that there are, you know, give or take, I don't think you should get hung up on the numbers here, but if you think that there are, I don't know, 50 chapters and that each chapter is going to be, for the sake of argument, 1,500 words and that you might have two or three scenes in a chapter, you know that you are going to have 500 word, 700 word, maybe 200 word sections to write. Yeah. And you can literally say to yourself, okay, so next week I'm going to write scenes 1 to 12. And then I'm going to take the weekend off, drink beer, fall over, whatever it is you do. And the next week I'm going to do that. And suddenly the whole thing from being, I've got an enormous first draft. Yeah, It's okay. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write this. I'm going to write that. I'm going to write this. I'm going to write that. Oh, look. Got a first draft. And you've got a first draft that has, it will undoubtedly have problems, but that it has a plot arc that you've thought about. You know, you've <laughs> arrived somewhere that you were intending to arrive. And you've arrived there in a fashion that you had, to a certain extent, at least foreseen. Designed, um, not evolved. Yeah. And it's um, trying to do it backwards, I have to say, is probably a lot harder than doing it the way that Amanda and many others told me to do it. But hey, I'm a
1: slow learner. <laughs> Um, it's interesting. As you say that, it, it reminds me of a thing. It's very similar to how you write uh, fiction for TV and movies. And it mm-hmm. reminds me there's a, a director and a writer called Seth Worley. And uh, he designed this notebook called Screen Story Clock Notebook, uh, which is the same principle. Basically, it's like, it's like a clock face. Um, so you can imagine the, the 12. It's basically like a clock face. Uh, mm-hmm. but on that you can put all the different beats of a movie. Yep. And then you can see at your your quarters, so your 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 ninety degree angles, those are sort of the main parts of the story. You need to have things happen in these areas. And yep. inciting event and, yeah, and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And and films more so than books, films have very, very set arcs. It's a very, very tropey thing. There's a very set structure for how episodes of T V or movies or netflix they all have their own sort of quite stylized quite set in stone way of doing it, and there are deviations but there's a format and this is a really good way of picturing it Um, it's not one that i've used before but i've seen some pictures of people plotting existing films onto this sort of clock face it's really really cool go and have a look uh it's yeah story clock notebook i'll put it in the show notes but it's the same principle but just for a different medium
0: no, I, and it's it would absolutely hold true for a book as well. I mean, yeah. novels. the the more you look at novels, the more you will realize that, that those truisms you just you just stated are hold equally true uh, in in the literary world. There, there are of course exceptions, and I think there's probably more flexibility in in the written word than there might be in in the movie world because you don't have to invest hundreds of millions to make a a book, as it were. Um, so. The same things exist, and the same problems exist when you um, step away from that path. Not to say you can't, but you've got to be pretty good to carry it off. You know, I, I, people people like, I suppose, Tarantino, you know, who suddenly went and did these slightly wacky and weird things in mainstream film, but made them work. I, I imagine there are plenty of other people who've tried that, and for whatever reason, commercially, it didn't work. Uh, and that sort of structure... The the most important thing for me is that a novel, per se, becomes a massive undertaking in your mind. And certainly I became very intimidated by it. And so even though I had all the words there, the idea of opening up that draft, which for me was in Scrivener, and mm-hmm. editing it was just scary, scary, scary. It was just too big. It was too horrible. It was too unwieldy. Um, whereas had it been written in that, not piecemeal, that's not the right approach, but Project had it managed been, chunks. Yeah. Then I would have felt, uh, well, I believe I would have felt much more in control of the process. And I now feel much more in control of the process because where I am is I've gone away re-read my drafts, formed a sort of fluffy impression, and then almost said, right, okay, write as if you were Amanda. So write the scenes, the cards, the characters, the framework, and then let's see which bits of flesh, i.e. from the draft, fit that. And if there are bits that don't fit, fine. They can sit in a sort of spare folder. Um, and if there are bits missing, uh, fine, just write them. You know, yeah. a 500-word scene, just write it, get on with it. It's, it's not game. a huge thing. Um, <clears throat> and I'm doing that now, and I feel much more confident and comfortable with where the book is. I have no doubt it will still be rubbish, but it will be a draft that is coherent and will have a plot and it will go to beta readers who will then say, well, you know, I, I, I felt this or that really annoyed me or, you know, the sort of stuff that beta readers do for you. Yeah. Uh, and you hone the draft again and you'll do all the sort of, or I will probably pay an editor um, and a proofreader um, because proofreading me, haven't you seen my show notes? Attention <laughs> to detail is not my thing. Um, and then ultimately get it out there. Because oh. it's it's a bit like, um, I always go back to this phrase that you mentioned, you know, you've got, what was it? 10,000 bad, bad hours or
1: bad videos inside you. you I hope it's not 10,000 because then I'm still making bad ones. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you know what I mean? You, you've got to get all this stuff out. Um, yeah.
1: You've got to you, learn, right? It, you got to learn and you got to learn through practice. There's no point in thinking about it. Like I spent so much time as a filmmaker thinking about the movies I would make and going, yeah, that one's really good. Okay, done. Next one, and like, oh, I didn't actually do anything. I just thought a bunch about a thing I could make, and that that act of making, even if the thing at the end is not what you envisioned at the beginning, the act of making has taught and expanded and increased your skill set, such that the thing you make next will not be the same as it was before. It'll be better. It'll be more uh, nuanced. It'll be better formed. It'll be well thought out. So. Everything you do improves. You know, it's, it's harder to write. It's hard to write a hundred movies or a hundred books, and be bad at writing books, because you're gonna learn regardless. Even the most stubborn person will learn and do things slightly better.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and the, again, what what happens? Or I'm saying again, but for me, um, the more that I've um, sort of really invested time and effort. The more time and effort that I invest, the more I realize that everything that I was told at the start is true. Yeah. Everything that I ignored is true. <laughs> and people, people say, uh, and I'm now saying, and people will ignore me and learn the same way as I learned the hard way. Writing is a habit. And like anything else, you have to show up. Now, whether that be writing uh, into your draft or your novel or writing a letter to a friend or writing a blog post or whatever you might be writing, you must write. And you must write all the time because you get better at it. Yeah. And you get much more self-aware. So um, uh, Amanda tweeted the other day how she was delighted. She designed a, a macro, I think is probably the right phrase, in word to identify her crutch words because we all have crutch words. Yeah. Um, anybody that listens to this podcast can probably list 10 of mine and and 5 of yours oh that
1: would be fascinating, if someone could do that for us I'd really appreciate that what do I say Uh,
0: all the time there are words that that people fall back on um, and I'm Mm. sure I do it, I know I do it Uh, and the idea then that you can become aware of those, I can read drafts of mine now and know that I'm going to come across a word 4 or 5 times um for some reason when i'm writing by hand the word little turns up every three words i've probably no the, idea because the
1: way you yeah the scoop so you come down from the top of the l up to the i and then the double t and then the l and then off the e it's a nice word That's to write. Thing, with a broad nib it's a bleeding nightmare
0: double <laughs> <L-I-T-T-L-E>, t <it'll become laughs> but yeah it, it, it's there all the time um and you become aware of those things, and I think that that makes editing so much easier because you can read your stuff and know that you're going to be looking specifically for problem A and problem B. Yeah, uh, and you get better. At it. You get better at writing uh, more succinctly, more concisely. And as I say, the the scary thing was that everybody tells you this. You know, Stephen King on writing is probably the the text that any mm-hmm. prospective writer should read, and he says all of this stuff, uh, and you sort of go, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but. What do you know, Stephen? Well, you, you don't want to just sit there and try and be Stephen <laughs> King, do you? I mean, he's he's kind of done that. He's going to be better than you at that. Uh, you want to be yourself. But there are some, some things, something about the craft particularly, that I think you can't get away from. And that, in a way, has been a fantastic learning curve. I wish it hadn't taken so long. Uh, and why it's taken so long is because... I've, you know, just walked away and gone, okay, yeah. well, I've, I've written a first draft, so I'm going to go and do corporate. I, I know, I'll buy a notebook company. You know, that type of thing. And now that I'm coming back to it, I'm busier now than I have been probably for years with with a couple of businesses, with with moving, with all the stuff that's happened, you know, with moving. But actually, I find it easier to, to find time to write because I want to find the time to write. And because I feel that I can do it now. I feel that I can actually sit down and say, okay, today I'm rewriting Act 2, Scene 4. Yeah. And I can look at an index card that says, this is what happens in Act 2, Scene 4. Now, okay, they get changed all the time. They get ripped up. Oh, no, I need to write three scenes here where I thought there was one. But all of that stuff goes on. But I'm in control of it to a certain extent. The whole thing about what happens next? That's probably another podcast. He said, just looking at the timeline. Um, <laughs> and you know, one thing that I'm really keen to talk about, if if not today, then some other time, is publishing mm, and what it means. I think that's an
1: absolute in itself
0: and how it works. Because you know, and I I see the frustration that people like Amanda feel, where they they've written something. And, uh, by the way, her stuff's really good. Go and buy it. Um, she's got two novels that are published. Both really good. Both are uh, different. Her next ones, I believe, I hope at least, will be the, the trilogy, the fantasy trilogy, which are her first uh, her first novel and her second novel, unrelated, and the trilogy, unrelated. I told you she was talented. It's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> switches from one genre to another but um, I see her frustration at okay I've got this now what do I do with it and you know uh, she she had a publishing deal with um, a company called Joff, um or the first one I think she did independently and then she had a publishing deal that republished the first and the second um, and that now I think she's considering some some more self-publishing but it's all energy and time that's thrown into to working this stuff, and that's not what an author wants to be doing. No, um, and it's all it's all changed. I mean, okay, yeah, there's we can talk about the great positives of the Kindle, uh, Amazon publishing that that brings. We can all self-publish. You know, I can publish a book tomorrow if I wish. So can you? So can everybody listening to this podcast? And that's something we couldn't do in the past, so that's great. But also, what's happened is this whole uh I suppose democracy of publishing has now meant that the business itself is extraordinarily difficult to make a living in. Mm. And I, I I don't think it was ever easy. <laughs> no. But if you're if you're Harry and H C Marks, friend of the show, who's you know, he's very keen to be classically published in the traditional manner. Um, you know, and his books will go on sale, I don't know, for, for ten dollars. Of which I don't know, maybe a dollar goes to goes to the author maybe two, I don't know. You think about the effort, and I'm speaking from personal experience, the effort that goes into producing a book, even with a publisher, you know, doing some of the heavy lifting, getting a dollar for it, and then, you know, having to sell 10,000 to get $10,000 of which, I don't know, three and a half thousand goes in tax. It's uh wow, wow. Mm. You look at Effort the average cost of living. Ratio. Yeah, yeah, you look at the average cost of living in in you know in the US or in the UK. You got to sell a lot of books to make a living, and I think it's something like ninety ninety nine percent of published authors uh, do not make the minimum wage or anything near it. That's um that's quite sobering, and that's unfair to a certain extent and that's where you know i've been looking at and people will know if they've been to my website i have a membership uh to the website which is essentially i'm I'm almost selling futures (laughs) on my book (laughs) you know i'm saying that if you're a member anything i publish is included in your membership but if i was publishing on kindle i don't know my, my books would be two three pounds i'm not sure um I know the pricing, the share and all that. Um, Amazon push you into certain prices. Um, But it's not very much. You know, I'm not, as a debut novelist, going to say, come buy my book, it's $25. (laughs) Because people won't pay it. A membership scheme, however, people thus far, from my very limited knowledge, some people are interested in supporting creators. And by offering a model like that, where people can be a member of my site for, uh, I think it's a staggering twelve pounds a year. If I write a book, then you could argue that they've paid twelve pounds for a book. Now there are some yeah. other benefits as well. I mean, in terms of the Slack channel and contact with me and all those types of things. But ultimately, what you're doing is what I'm doing. Is saying, look, you know, buy from me, and. The money that you spend on it will come to me. It won't go to Amazon. It won't go to... Now, I, that won't be sustainable in the long term as the only way to to sell my work. I will have to go on to other channels and you know pay the middleman, the publisher, whoever, it, however you want to term them. But having that sort of support network there where people are investing, if you like, in you and demonstrating their, their support for you. I think it's a much fairer way of rewarding content creators. And that, you know, whether that be someone who's writing a book or or producing a video or anything that people are deriving enjoyment from. Mm -hmm. And, And I honestly think that that's a huge change that we're probably not remarking as much as we should. Yes. I think we've gone away from everybody expecting to get all their books on Kindle for 99 cents. I think people have realized that that's not sustainable because, you know, with the greatest of respect to a lot of the stuff that's on Kindle, a lot of it is trash. Well,
1: A lot of it is made for the market. So a lot of it is, how can I write 40 books this week? You know, how can because I get I as can, much content out there as possible?
0: Because I can only sell them for 99 cents exactly. of which two thirds is going to go directly to Amazon. So... And, I yeah. think there is a push against that now. And, uh, you know, Matt Gemmell, uh, he's got a membership model on his site.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sure, you can buy his books on Kindle and I recommend that you do. They're fantastic. But also, uh-huh. yeah. you know, he, he's got a great website. I mean, he's a, he's a, he, he he was a software developer, so he's a quite competent around the internet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was from him that I, you know, I saw his model and thought, okay, yeah, I, I, I like the look of this. I, I like what he's doing. And I think that more and more people are going to go that way. And that's where, you know, Patreon and Memberful and all of these different yeah. sites uh, are coming from. And I think there is an audience of people out there. And I think there needs to be. Because if we keep wanting to pay cents, then we will get rubbish. Yeah. That's um, just be- high work. Yeah, because, you know, people cannot dedicate the time that they would like to if they're, if they're only going to get a few dollars back. They, they need, to, you know, need to buy food and all those inconveniences of modern life.
1: Pencils?
0: (laughs) Pencils, Steinbeck's. But yeah, as you say, that's probably an episode on its own. Mm. So the summary I would say about my writing process is uh, there's a right way and a wrong way. I did it the wrong way. Um, I'm now doing it the right way. I don't think it matters too much which way you approach it because those lessons have to be learned. Um, I, do, I honestly believe that anybody would look at a hundred thousand words or eighty thousand words and go, "Oh, that's that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work." You need to find a way to write those words, and that's where NaNoWriMo is. is a great thing because it it does gamify it to a certain extent. It makes it all sort of a bit jolly and a sort of kindred spirit thing, and um, and before you know it, you've done it, and that's a really important line to cross to go, oh, actually, I can write that many words. Yeah. Even if they are all nonsense.
1: It almost doesn't matter about the book. It's not mm. the book that matters. It's the writing of the book that matters. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, doing that set me on the track. Okay, I then took a few years off, which is perhaps... <laughs> Short <hiatus>. Um, <laughs> And I'm now approaching it, you know, in a much more methodical way. Um, But the reality remains that, you know, the sun shines, the golf course is open there's beer in the fridge. All of those things seem quite a lot more attractive than writing a scene uh, from time to time. And you have to put your your backside in the chair and work. It is work. It's very rewarding work, not financially. It's certainly not that. But it is very rewarding in you go, okay, I like that scene. So I keep, occasionally I read something I've written and go, oh, actually, that's quite good. Mm, I, would, I enjoy I would, that. I would read that, um, <laughs> he
1: said, <laughs> having read it, <laughs> yeah,
0: um, and you think, okay, so how do I get the other eighty five thousand to sound like those two hundred? <laughs> yeah.
1: This is great. I'll have eighty five thousand more of these, please, mm-hmm. exactly yeah. Are you sure you don't want a short story um
0: <laughs> but getting getting to that point I think is 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 very rewarding and. You know, I'm speaking very much out of turn. I haven't published anything. So everybody's got the right to say, what's he talking about? But I think the lesson that I've now learned in in the last month or so is actually set yourself a timeline and hit it. The novel that I publish will not be the best novel that I can write. And several people who've written lots of books have said to me, well, your first novel will never be the, the best novel you write.
1: Would you You want to be?
0: Yeah, exactly. You can sit on it for 20 years if you want. But the best thing to do is get it out there and get on with your second novel, which will probably be better. Because by the time you get to your 15th, you might be getting quite good at this. (laughs) But you've got to get there. And so, you know, I'm now sitting down with the timeline with my index cards going, okay, so these are these scenes. There we go. I'm going to put that together in a draft and give it to some beta readers. And I'm going to say to them, get your comments to me back by this date and if you don't fine I'll just I'll just ignore you um because then I'm yeah. going to do this and then I'm going to put it out there
1: and yeah, project manager
0: yeah and and just um it's the phrase you've used before you know done not perfect yeah um get it out there and then move on and as you say develop that thick skin and the broad shoulders and go okay so what do you think of it honestly be gentle be gentle be gentle <laughs> um but also Get some feedback from people and go, you know, I enjoyed this particular thing or I didn't like that. Because I'm sure that does help, you know, and it definitely helps. Oh dear, there we go. We've nearly gone to 90 minutes and I think you've said about 14 words, TJ.
1: (laughs) I've enjoyed every single minute. It's been brilliant. Well, if
0: with high praise indeed like that, I think it only remains for me to say, I have been Stuart Lennon.
1: And I've been a quite quiet TJ Carsgrove. Remember to make the past the present in the future. This was 1857.